All right, so we're doing Hebrews 8, 6 through 9, 1, and then we're skipping ahead to 9, 11 through 14. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God, would, but God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be the covenant like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will give their wickedness, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Amen. Thanks, Scott. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, now for the chance to come before your word. It's good uh, to be gathered with uh, our faith family, with uh, new friends, people we've known uh, for a while, and those that are new. God, we know that you call us from uh, all places to come before you, to worship you, and to submit uh, to what you have in your word for us. God, we, uh, we confess that on our own, your word is difficult for, for us to understand. It can be challenging for us to comprehend. But God, we know the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead is alive and active and moving in us today. And so we pray that same spirit would take your word and apply it to our lives, even in these moments we share today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I want to ask uh, this morning if we have any, uh, any clean freaks, any of those people out here today, anybody... Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know some of you are. One of them sitting in the front row. Uh, some of you, some of you like really like for things to be clean. You get this like uh, deep satisfaction of like a va- well vacuumed carpet. Anybody do that? Like when you can see the lines in it. Some people, some people like the lines on their on their grass. Other people like the lines in the carpet. You know, like this has been freshly freshly vacuumed. Uh, uh, I, I pointed to the front row because Amber gets stressed if like the house is just too cluttered. And you can imagine with the number of kids we have, that's like most of the time. 
And, uh, and so every now and then uh, we get it all cleaned up and I watch Amber's shoulders like drop four inches. Like they just, like the stress just comes out when, when it's like all clean. And that lasts for about 30 seconds and uh, then it goes back up, you know. And, uh, and so I don't know if, if, you're, if you're in that group. Uh, uh, I, I, I get pleasure out of like pressure washing. Like if I'm on a sidewalk and you just watch the dirt just go away as you move down, that is like so satisfying to me. Or, or the thing I can do, again, lasts about three seconds for the number of trees we have, but if I blow all the leaves out of the yard, it's just like, ah, you know. I'm looking forward to that when it dries out. I think I'm going to try it maybe this afternoon. Like we just, it's just so nice. There's just something so satisfying about seeing something cleaned. Uh, Amber's funny about like her Q-tips in her ears, like that, that clean. Yeah, I just said that. And I didn't mean to say that. I shouldn't have said, said that. Uh, I remember these... Um, I remember these Orbit, Orbit gum commercials. Do you remember, you remember those commercials where somebody would like dive in the dirt or, or get splashed with mud from a dog or something and they're just covered, but then they would smile and they're, they're, they're goes, ding, you know, and she says, dirty mouth, clean it up with new, or, you know, whatever. And then some of them were about like people who instead of cussing, they used like elementary school like insults and they're like, ah, oh, dirty mouth has been cleaned up, you know, by this, by this gum, apparently. Uh, we, we, we enjoy clean, maybe you to different levels, but I think most of us, you know, if we got to pick, you know, is, is, your, is your car or your office or your, your, your front yard, would you rather it be clean or dirty? We would pick clean, you know. For me, a clean desk. Like if I can, if my desk is clean, I can think or at least try, you know. Like I, I do much better with clean. To different levels, but maybe at different places. But we, we know and we have this desire for, for things that are clean. When it's dirty, it, we, we know that something is wrong. Uh, whether we're willing to admit it or, or not, I, I think all of us, that, where that comes from is that all of us have this desire for our hearts to be clean, don't we? We have this sense of there's, there's something wrong in this world, and, and if we're honest, we, we know we contribute to that, and that, that the wrongness isn't just out there, it's in our hearts, I say that all the time, and, and so we have this desire for our hearts to be made clean, that we want to be clean, we want to be cleansed, we don't want to be dirty, we want to be made clean clean. And as we've been going through the book of Hebrews this fall, we come to a section in chapter 8 and 9 uh, that Scott just read parts of for us that focus on this, this new covenant and the promises uh, of the new covenant that we have in Christ. And this covenant is contrasted with the old covenant. And one way in particular it's contrasted here is about how we are made clean and what that looks like for us and our hearts and our lives to be cleansed. And so as, it, as you contrast, as we'll dive into this, the old way to, from the new way, one of the things that we learn in that process is that we can't clean up ourselves. We can't clean up ourselves. As much as we try, as much as we desire to, as much as we want to be made pure and holy and righteous, as much, much as we want for all the, the evil and wickedness and brokenness of our lives to be taken away, we can't do it ourselves. And that's something we learn, especially in the Old Testament. Now, uh, I already said Old Covenant, New Covenant. You may be going, okay, what, what is that? If, you, if you've got a Bible, you may know that, that right, you know, two-thirds of the way through or so, uh, the Bible splits. We have an Old Testament and a New Testament. Uh, the first 39 books of your Bible, the Old Testament, the next, uh, the last 27 uh, are the New Testament. And the word testament is just another word for covenant. A covenant is a promise made between two people. And so in the Bible, the covenants that God made, makes with His people are these, these really important uh, ways of defining the relationship between God and, and humanity. And so there was an old way, and the Old Testament is about how 
God's people interacted with God all through the old covenant time period. And then when Christ came, he set up a new way. And we're going to see that was the plan all along. It wasn't like God uh, was like, oh, that didn't work. I had to come up with something else. That was the plan all along. Old way and now new way. So Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant and New Covenant. And so this, as this relationship is set up, what he's doing is he's showing us how, how we can interact with God. Based on this, this covenant, this agreement, how we can interact with God. And so Hebrews talks about these two primary covenants that we see in the Bible, the Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Testament, New Covenant. And as you dive into these, we recognize in any relationship with God, we, we can't clean up ourselves. We can't make ourselves pure. Hebrews 8 and 9 describes the, 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 what that process looked like in the Old Testament. And uh, if you've ever tried to read through the Old Testament, and I hope you have, and we'd love to help you figure out a good way and a good pattern to do that, uh, you may have gotten bogged down in some pretty challenging sections uh, of the Bible, especially in Leviticus or even before there, uh, from, about, from Exodus about halfway through or a little over, once you get into like the 20s, 22, 24 or so, it can get pretty detailed and pretty complex. And if you didn't know what was going on, you'd be like, why are they talking so much about all these animals that are dying? And what is the deal with having the exact measurements of this temple? And why does it matter what kind of things are sewn on there? There's all these intricate details in the Old Testament. And here in, in Hebrews, he references those details by just a, a few small references. In, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 10, he talks about regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. So he's talking about you coming, coming to worship, coming to worship God. There are all these regulations, and he talks about just a few of them. He talks about this special tent, so it was a tabernacle that became the, the temple. Uh, he talks about the first section of this tent that had these uh, different parts of the rituals, the lampstands and the tables and the bread. Uh, and then there was a separate section, this most holy place, and behind there was the Ark of the Covenant, and it talked about the things that were in there, including the, the, the tablets of the Ten Commandments and the mercy seat of God. And if already that seems like a whole lot of details, that's just me summarizing a few verses that is summarizing whole books of the Old Testament. And like, why in the world would this be? Why is it so complicated? Why is it so detailed? Can't I just talk to God? What, what is going on with all these details? Well, there's a lot of words that are used to tell you you can't clean up yourself. That we can't just enter into God's presence on our own. We, we aren't qualified for that. We are not uh, on our own. We don't have the, the capacity, the ability to enter into God's presence. He is perfectly holy and righteous. If there is any who is clean, it is God and God alone. And what all those things in the Old Testament show us is that because He is perfectly righteous and holy, we can't just walk into His presence. We don't deserve to be there. We have not earned that spot. And so all these rules and regulations of the Old Testament especially all these purity laws, were a way of pointing out to us there's, there's a barrier. There has to be something. We can't just walk into His presence. There has to be something so that we can come into His presence. He is perfectly holy, and we are not. He is clean, and we are not clean. And that's not a very popular thing to say today, is it? The, the, the modern idea, the modern culture, kind of popular uh, theology, so to speak, is to say, hey, look, I, I, I practice my faith and what I believe about spirituality and, and my truth, and you have yours, and we'll just kind of you know, agree to disagree. And so to say somebody is unclean or impure or unholy or even sinful is often met with a, uh, don't, don't call me that, right? 
There's this, this, this push from our hearts to say, no, I, I don't want to be considered that way. And so we don't want to consider ourselves unholy. Uh, we don't want to consider ourselves unclean. Maybe you see it around you, but we don't want to see it in us. And so I don't know where the people you interact with, but many times I've seen that in our culture, a sense of, I, I don't want to admit I've got something wrong. And yet, our culture is constantly saying there's something wrong with us, isn't there? Because the most, you know, uh, the, the, the book industry that sells the most are the self-help books, right? If there's nothing wrong with us, then we don't need any help. But apparently, there's a huge market for people saying, I need help with something. Well, no, don't, don't call me un- impure, don't call me unclean, but I need help with managing my money. I need help with how to, how to have a healthy marriage. I need help with, you know, 10 steps to, to having my retirement done this age. And uh, There's all kinds of of, of secular books around optimism or meditation or being powerful or rich or independent or, or, or pu- pushing off loneliness or seeking friendships. The whole world's telling you, you need help. <laughs> and we're buying the books and we're listening to the podcast and we're giving each other advice. And so on one hand, the world's saying, no, we're, we're not unclean. We're not impure. On the other hand, it's saying, let me help you. Let me help you. Which is it? We, we, I think, if we're honest, we have this deep sense, doesn't matter whether you've grown up in church or not, we have this deep sense that there's, there's just something wrong in our hearts. We have this uncleanness, uncleanliness, this, this dirtiness. Maybe we wouldn't word it that way, but, but there's just <clears throat> there's a brokenness in us, and we need help with it. In the Bible, the Old Testament especially, over and over is saying, you can't, you can't fix that problem yourself. You can't just fix this yourself. You can't clean up yourself. In large part, many of the the Old Testament regulations were about things that were external. There were things that were outside of our lives, outside of of our hearts. Hebrews 9, 7 talks about how the priest would come in and make sacrifices, and then once a day, they would, once a year, sorry, they would make this special sacrifice inside the Holy of Holies. And we've talked about this a lot in Hebrews already. But it says, about this, that the high priest would make the sacrifice, it says in verse 7, for himself and the unintentional sins of the people. And you read that, how can a sin be unintentional? Where in the Old Testament, there were all kinds of ways you could ruin your purity that were not necessarily from bad motives. But these were ways of saying, I, I'm, I can't come into God if I'm impure. So touching a dead body, uh, having clothes that were made of two different kinds of of, of material, eating the wrong kinds of food. These were all these ritualistic external things as a way of, of, of showing there's, there's a gap between me and God. And so it was possible to sin unintentionally. But then he goes on to describe what this looks like. Verse 10, he talks about the food and the drink and the various washings and the regulation of the body. And all those were part of what we read in verse 9, the gifts and sacrifices, offerings that cannot perfect the consciousness of the worshiper. So here's what he's saying. You, you, um, this sacrifice that was made, it, it cleans you, the outside, the ritual, the external things that make us impure and did under the old covenant, those things could be taken care of by these sacrifices. You know, if you touched a dead body, okay, you go and you make this sacrifice and you wash this way, and now you're permitted to come back into the temple, right? But all of that could happen and not touch your heart at all, Right? He says, this doesn't change your heart. It doesn't change your conscience. It doesn't change who you are. Verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 13. The blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. So it sanctifies us on the outside. 
It does nothing for the inside. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament laws about purity and rituals and washing, they were about the outside. They did not touch the inside. It deals with the outside. It doesn't change our hearts. We can't clean up ourselves. And one of the main reasons for that is that our real problem isn't just what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside. We can clean our floors and our yards and our desks and our ears and everything else, but we can't change our own hearts. We can't. Our hearts have a, a bent, a, a wickedness, a desire for things that are impure, that, that on our own we may be able to curb and, and, and get to go a certain way every now and then, but we can't actually transform our hearts. We are unclean, and we need help with it. No amount of washing, no amount of rituals, no amount of cleansing can make that go away. But it doesn't stop us from trying, does it? <laughs> oh, man, we sure try to clean ourselves up, don't we? This time, this time I mean it, God. This time, I'm getting my life on track. I'll never do that again. I mean it, God, this time. We buy the self-help books, and they can be good. They can be helpful. We try all different strategies, and yet we can go through life carrying this guilt, a guilt in our consciousness that we just can't get rid of, a guilt that weighs on us, that's too heavy, and no amount of works, no amount of things we do, no amount of hard work at our kids' schools or with our family or things we do at work, none of it can make the guilt go away. We throw the, the world's self-help strategies in the washing machine, and as Christians, we sprinkle a little bit of Jesus language on top of it, you know, and we just kind of spin it in there for a little while and say, hey, uh, yeah, I, I, Jesus, is, by Jesus, we just put Jesus on it, and now I'm a better person. You know, we don't really, we just try to just clean ourselves up, but ultimately we're still doing things that make us feel better. I, I feel better about myself because I went to church today. And I went 37 times out of 52 in the year. You know, I, I feel better about myself today because uh, I didn't cut that person off at the four-way stop when I really could have gotten through, you know, ahead of my turn. You know, I, I feel better about myself. And we make this list. At the end of the day, we kind of weigh out, like, here's my good things I did, and here's the bad things, and I feel better. My conscience, my guilt feels better if I can make a longer list on the good side than on the bad side. As Christians, I'm convinced we do this because I do this. Maybe I'm alone. Maybe you don't do this, but I do this. I, I get the end of my day and I weigh out my day and try to decide. My, I let my conscience rest on the list that I can make in my head of good deeds versus bad deeds. You know what that is? That's the old covenant. That is the old way. It is not the new covenant. If you and I were dependent upon weighing out our good deeds and bad deeds to cleanse our conscience, it's not going to go well. If you know your heart for what it is, you may be some days be able to satisfy it, but it's, it's not going to sustain you. We cannot get rid of a guilty conscience by checking some boxes and doing some deeds. It will not measure up. Now, don't hear me wrong. There's nothing wrong with doing good things, of course, right? But what's your motive? Why are you doing it? What are you trying to accomplish with your good deeds? If we're trying to cleanse our own conscience, it will never measure up. It will never satisfy us. You say, ah, I'm just going to get baptized, join a church, attend a church, do all these good things. Yes, you should. But that's not what saves you. And it's not what cleanses you. It's not what gets the guilt out of our lives. I, I don't know what, what kind of guilt you may carry through life. Maybe I say that word and you're like, I, I don't have to worry about that. But I imagine there's at least some here who, who've gone through life and guilt feels like a boulder on your shoulders. You've got, you've got some past actions. You've got some, some mistakes. You've got some things you've done wrong and you feel like uh, uh, you got a scarlet letter on your chest 
or you got a, you got a, a boulder on your shoulders, and you're just saying, I, I just, I can't get past this thing. Here's this thing I'm carrying around, this relationship, or this mistake, or this addiction, and, and here's the boulder. And it is a, a, a guilt in my heart that I carry with me everywhere I go. I hope that's not many of you, but I'm sure it's some. Because there's, there's this, in our hearts, we are, we are prone to feel our guilt. And that, it's not a bad thing to start with, right? It's good that you have a conscience. I'd be more worried if you didn't, right? It's good that we have a conscience. But it's bad to try to fix our own conscience. We can't do that on our own which is why we need a better covenant. We can't clean up ourselves. We can't change our own hearts. We can't change our own conscience. We can't clean out our lives. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can purify us from the inside. Only Christ, only the Son of God, only the Savior of the world can purify not just the external, but the internal. Only He can change our lives. There is a a new way, a better way, because we can be made truly clean, not just on the outside, but on the inside. If you've been with us through Hebrews, we've been talking about and pointing out all the ways that Hebrews says that Jesus is better. So I call this series just Jesus is better. Uh, I forget, 15, 14, something like that times the word better is used. And here's two of them in one verse. I love this. Uh, Hebrews 8, 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old covenant that, that he mediates because it is better since it is enacted on better promises. So he mediates a better covenant that comes from better promises. So this is, again, what we said at the beginning, or said a minute ago, this is not plan B for God. He, he set this up. He set up the, the, the Old Testament. And then here's Jesus as the new way, the better way, that was planned all along. Verse 5 uh, of chapter 8 says, describes how the high priest and the sacrifices in the tent was all a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. And Moses, when he described the building of the tabernacle in verse 5, it says he did it according to the pattern that was shown to him on the mountain. So the Old Testament was based on what, what they had seen, what Moses had seen in heaven and what God had told him. So this was a copy, a shadow, showing us what it's like, this whole, the holiness of God and the law that we should, we should keep if we're going to be with this God. It was a true picture, but it was a copy. And Romans 3.20 says that through the law comes knowledge of sin. As those laws were given, the purity laws and all the ways, the moral laws, the Ten Commandments were given, it was a way of us saying, yeah, I can't, I can't keep all that. I, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of not measuring up. We're the ones who messed up. We're the ones who ruined the, the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was fine by itself if we could actually do it, but we didn't, and so we messed it up. And we're the reason God had planned, as He did all along, for a better way. And with Jesus, we got one. Verse, chapter 9, verse 11 says, Jesus went to a more perfect tent. I like that. More perfect. Perfecter. More perfect tent. Not made with human hands. Jesus went to heaven itself. And what did he do there? Why, why, why did he do that? When he died on the cross, he went before the heavenly Father, not just the representation of his presence in the most holy place, but he actually went to the heavenly Father and presented his own life for us. Chapter 9, verses 11 and 12 says, Through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with human hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. There, there is so much 
important for us to see there. He offered up His own life in payment for the sins we've committed. And when we believe in Him, that, that boulder, that scarlet letter we put on our chest, that guilt we've been carried, when we put our faith in Him, He, he takes it. He takes it. The guilt is gone. He paid for it. It says He secured an eternal redemption. Did, did, he, did he do that just, just occasionally or, or just for a little while? No, it's, it's eternal. He, he died in our place so that we are not guilty anymore. He purifies all who believe in him. This is the beauty of the new covenant. It's not that we wash once to enter in his presence and we go out and we must make another mistake and we come back and wash again. No, Jesus' blood covered all our sins. The guilt that we feel, the pain, the shame, all that we have from all that we've done, Jesus says, it's mine. I got it. I paid for it all. And he did it once for all. Once for all. An eternal redemption. The guilt is gone. He has redeemed it. Eternal redemption. I love that phrase. You know, we, when you, when you re redeem something, like if you had a car payment and you, uh, you got behind for a little while and the bank came and, and took the car, the only way you can get the car back is if you make the payment, right? You got, you got to pay for it in order to get it. You redeem it. You bring it out. And the way that bird is used many times in the, in the Bible is a picture not just of a, of a material thing, but of somebody, a person, who has become a slave because of a debt they owed or because of a, 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 a people that's been conquered. So the most famous example is the people of Israel who are redeemed out of Egypt. For 400 years they've been there. Hundreds of thousands of people now that have grown, and they're all uh, slaves in Egypt. And Jesus, uh, God, God comes and he puts the plagues on, on Egypt, and he redeems. It says he redeems his people out of Egypt. He paid the price. People, the people who came, uh, the, the Israelites, the night before the last plague, they, they killed a lamb, a Passover lamb. This lamb died, so nobody in their family died, and the people are redeemed. They're brought out of slavery, out of captivity. And when we put our faith in Christ, what we're saying is, Jesus died so I didn't have to. He died on the cross so that my guilt is, is taken away. He paid for my sins, and He has redeemed my life. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer captive to the, the, the air of this world, the devil of this world. We, we are no longer guilty. We have been cleansed. We've been set free, and we are no longer slaves. The animal sacrifices of the Old Testament were made daily, and then once a year, a special sacrifice. But Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all. That's an important phrase that shows up Show up last week in Hebrews 7, 27. It'll be twice in next week's passage. And it's worth noticing that repetition, that he died once and for all. And you think, well, what, what's the big deal? I wasn't going to go, like, take one of Randy Master's goats and sacrifice it for my sins today. Like, I didn't need it. Why do I need an eternal sacrifice for me? Why does it matter that it was once and for all? You think, I, I don't try to pay for my sins. Well, do you? <laughs> because so often what I've seen in my own heart is when I mess up, I've got to make it right. And there's a sense of, we gotta, you know, if we hurt somebody, you're going to restore what you've hurt. But you know what we do? We carry around the guilt, and we say, the only way I can make this right is if I feel bad enough for long enough. Or, what's maybe even more tempting, is not in ourselves, but in somebody else. The only way they can make it up to me is if they feel bad about it for long enough, enough to where I, I feel like they really meant it. What we're asking them to do is earn their forgiveness. And what we're asking us to do, if we don't give up our own guilt is we're asking us to earn our own forgiveness. You know what pays for your sins? 
It's not Jesus' blood and anything else. It's just Jesus' blood. That's why it's so important that this sacrifice was once and for all. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, not if you run 10 miles, if you say I'm sorry 375 times, if we confess our sins, I'm a sinner, I messed up. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He, he comes and He forgives us and He changes us. He cleanses us. He is making us clean. When Jesus said, it is finished, He meant it. It is finished. Your sins are paid for, paid in full. We don't have to earn that. That is a once and for all eternal redemption paid in our place. Some of you are, are going through life carry, either carrying a burden or putting a burden on somebody else because you're asking them to pay for their sins or you're trying to pay for your own and it is a guilt that you're carrying around. And you need to hear the freedom of the gospel that our sins can be forgiven if we confess them to Christ. And that's all. That's all that has to happen. We believe in Jesus. He paid for it so we don't have to. All your sins, all your mistakes, all your failures are not paid for by Jesus and anything else. It's just by Jesus, Him and Him alone. And when we do that, when we confess our sins, when He forgives us, He, he changes us. He, he purifies us. He cleanses us. Hebrews 9, 13 and 14 says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, so again, those are all references to the way the old covenant worked, if those sanctify for the purification of the flesh, so the outside, if those things cleanse us on the inside, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience? That is like cold water on a hot day. That is like a, 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 an ointment on a, on a burn. That is the salve we need to our souls. That is what we need to hear. Our conscience is purified. It is cleansed. We are guilt-free and our lives are being transformed. In Christ, yes, we, we need to feel the weight of our sin. That's what the Old Testament did for us. It made us see just how wicked we are. You need to feel the weight of it so then you feel the freedom when the weight's taken off. And that's what Christ has accomplished for it. He took the weight off. We don't go through life then arrogant or haughty like, hey, I'm because we didn't, we didn't pay for our own sin. We didn't free our own hearts. We have been freed, and Christ is the one who did it for us. So we are humble, we are grateful, we are thankful, because now we are innocent in Christ. We are clean. We are not guilty anymore. That's the promise of the new covenant, is that you can have a new life. You can have a new heart. You can be cleansed. You can be purified, not just on the outside, where you look nice, you look like you got it all together, and you, you're able to make it to church, and you, 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 you got your, you know, everything's nice on the outside. No, no, no. That doesn't matter nearly as much as what's going on on the inside. That's the promise of the new covenant. And that promise, like I said, wasn't a new idea. God's idea from the very beginning, and He helped us know that was the plan because He wrote it down through the prophet Jeremiah 600 years before Christ. Hebrews 8 quotes it at length. The very last part of that is Hebrews 8.12. It says, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. God has taken our sins. When we, when we sin against Him, He's got this long list of things we've done wrong. 
when we confess our sins and Jesus forgives them, God doesn't sit there and keep pondering over it, right? He, he forgets about it. It's been, it's been taken care of. It is, it is removed. You and I, when we sin and we mess up, or somebody more, more often somebody sins against us, we think about it. We think about it and we think about it and we ponder it and we chew on it and we marinate in it and we just keep it rolling, right? God, he said, it's forgotten. It's moved on. He's, he's washed it. It's clean. It's purified. We don't have to keep holding on to it anymore. And in place, in place of that guilt in our lives, in place of that boulder, that scarlet letter, he gives us something far more beautiful, something far more amazing to go in our hearts, in our lives, on our conscience. It's the law. The law. Wait, wait, wait. wait I thought the law was the bad guy. Eight, chapter 8, verse 10, we read, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law into their hearts, and into their minds, and write them on their hearts. Ah, I thought the Old Testament, the law, I thought that was a bad guy. No, 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 the, the law was never bad. We were the ones who were bad. What happens in the new covenant is not that we live a, a reckless and, and, and carefree life that does whatever we want for the sake of just, hey, didn't, guilt doesn't, I don't have any guilt, so I can just go to it. No, no, no. He changes us so that He changes our desires. When He purifies our conscience, He gets rid of the guilt and He gives us a new desire. What we picture here is a life like it was in the garden and somehow even better for having gone through sin and come out the other side. We want to be with God. That's what we read in verse 10. He says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. We come into God's presence not because we've earned it, but because Christ did. He paid for our sins. He paid our debts. We can come now. We've been redeemed. We've been restored. But I don't want to come to God and then just insult Him. I, I want to enjoy His presence. And the way we enjoy His presence is living a life like He intended for us to live. The law is not evil. Obeying the commandments is not evil. But it doesn't earn your salvation. You don't obey the commandments in order to be saved. But those who have been saved desire to obey the commandments. When you honor God first above all things, when you put Christ first, when you love your neighbor as yourself, when you watch your mouth so you don't blaspheme God, when you honor the Sabbath and rest, when you honor your father and mother, when you don't murder or hate, when you don't commit adultery or lust, when you don't steal or desire other people's things, when you don't covet their things, we are honoring Christ from the heart. We want to. We're desiring to live a life walking with Him. He's changed our lives so that we can walk with Him and live in this newness of life. That's the new covenant. It's not that the law has been abandoned. It's that the law has been written on our hearts. We've been saved. We've been changed from the inside out. If you and I live our whole lives trying to measure up to some outward standard, we'll never make it. But what Christ has done is He put the standard inside of us so that our hearts are actually transformed where we want to follow Christ. Hebrews 8.11, part of that new covenant, envisions a pretty amazing day where evangelism is no longer necessary. Have you ever thought about this and how great this is going to be? Hebrews 8.11 says, And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, but they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. There's coming a day that's in progress now where God will separate the sheep from the goat, the wheat from the chaff, and God will draw His people to Himself, and all those people, they'll know Him. Everywhere you look, all the people who know Him, yeah, I, you know Jesus, I know Jesus, you know Jesus, I don't have to tell you about Him, because you know Him, like I know Him. 
That's what's happening. He is drawing up and raising up a people, a church, His bride, so that we can dwell with Him, be with Him, and enjoy His presence forever. That's what it's going to be like. How incredible that day is going to be when we all are walking with Christ, enjoying His presence. The law has been put on our hearts and we're enjoying walking with Him. So you know what we should do? We should seek that day now. We should seek to be the kind of people who are living out the new covenant here and now. Seek Jesus' promised purity now. Seek Jesus' promised purity now. One day all is going to be made perfect in this new covenant So seek that now. Live out of a a life that's been transformed. Not to earn our salvation, but because we've been saved, we want to follow Him. You are clean, so walk in cleanliness. Don't go jump in mud puddles. Not because you need to earn your salvation and your cleanliness, but because you've now been invited into a walk with Christ. We don't want to live in the gutters. We don't want to live like that. Our desires have changed, and God is in the process of changing them. He's put the law on our hearts, and so we want to obey the law. I said, well, I don't even know the Ten Commandments. Well, you can learn them, you know, like it's written down. You can study it. Well, I don't don't know the Bible. Okay, we we can work on that. Like we can, this is a book. We can study it. We can get to know God's law and His desire and His will. And the more we get to know it, it gets put on our hearts. In Psalm 119, it says, write your words on my heart that I might not sin against you. We're not doing that because to make where God loves us more. We're doing that because we want to enjoy Him. We want to enjoy a relationship with Him. And the better we know Him, the better we can walk with Him. Don't don't marinate on and sit in our guilt and our shame. Marinate on and meditate on the goodness of God. This incredibly, amazingly gracious God who sacrificed Himself to pay what we deserve to pay with our own lives. He paid it with the life of His Son. Spend time with Him. Dwell on Him. Meditate on Him. And let Him continue to transform you day by day. There will be a day when evangelism is no longer necessary because God will have called all His people to Himself and everybody will say, I know the Lord, you know the Lord, everybody knows the Lord. But that day is not yet. That day is not today. God is in the process of making this new covenant happen. And so one of the things, one of the marks of people who have experienced God is they want to share God. They want to share Him with other people. There's coming a day when everybody will know Him, but the day's not yet today. So as God is transforming your life, cleansing you from the inside, seeking that promised purity, that that incredible life with Him, looks like putting your arm around somebody else and saying, hey, I, I want to show you to the promised land. I want to show you to the goodness of God. I want to show you the grace of God. I want to show you my God who is so abundantly gracious that He's given everything so that I could, I could walk with Him and I want you to walk with Him too. That's what it looks like to be a part of the new covenant. That God has transformed us and we're helping others to be transformed by Him too. Let's pray. Father, Your grace is so far beyond what we could begin to comprehend. And You have moved mightily in our lives far more than we could ever hope or imagine. God, You have cleansed us. You have purified us. Not because of work we've done, but because of faith and faith alone. So God, I pray that for all who know you today, God, that you would continue that cleansing, continue that purity, continue molding us in your image and writing your word on our hearts that we may know you and share you, so we may live out the covenant you've given to us. But God, for any who do not know you, God, I pray that your goodness and your mercy would be evident today in those who are showing love, and that God, the good news of the gospel 
of Christ's death and resurrection would be made plain so they may call out to you and believe in you by faith and begin to walk in this new covenant with you. Lord, it's a blessing to worship you. And I pray that as we sing back to you now, God, that you would dwell with us and that we would follow you today in spirit and in truth. In Christ's name, amen.